0: The next to the last message in the series of I have a question, I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and before we read a word, I'm going to pray and ask God to help me tonight. 1 Corinthians 6, and we'll find our way to verse 19. Father, as I preach this tonight and as I teach this, Lord, you know my heart. You know that I want to do that which pleases you. And God, you want to, I want to do so, Lord, without compromise. Uh, Father, I want to rightly divide your word of truth, and I pray that you'd help me with that. I pray that you'd speak to hearts and just help us to glean from this what we need. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. As we get into this message, I hope that over the years I've shown this to be so. If God will help me, I am committed to not be part of one of either two extremes. I am not going to... Discount what God's word says in order to keep the peace and keep people happy because I know that I know where most people land on a given subject but I'm also not going to preach something that's not there and add to the Bible for that purpose either I have one responsibility tonight and that is to tell you what thus saith the Lord and that's it Okay, So keep that in mind. First Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 19. That first word, what? Uh, the English doesn't really have a way of really capturing what's being said in that one word. But basically, Paul is completely and totally astounded that he even has to say this. I'll not scream it as he would, but what? Uh, another way of translating it would be, you've got to be kidding me. That would be less proper way of translating it though. What? <clears throat> know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which you have of God and you are not your own? For you are bought with a the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. That what? Paul is beyond flabbergasted that God's ownership over the body is not self evident to the Corinthians and it should be equally self evident to us. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 13 ends with you're sealed with that holy spirit of promise. Watch this. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. What or who is the purchased possession? That'd be us. The purchased possession. And so many of our questions and pursuits are addressed When we just apply the straightforward truth that we, all of our being, everything that we are or will be, belongs to God. If we just accept that simple truth that we belong to Him, that will go a long way to answering a lot of our questions, okay? Even so, these three questions have repeatedly come forward in my 16 years and counting, of pastoring, okay? And rather than preach a message on each one, I decided to put them all together tonight. Here's the first one. Is it wrong for a Christian's body to be cremated? Is it wrong? Number two, if the Bible doesn't expressly mention smoking, is it wrong? Number three, is it wrong for a Christian to get a tattoo? Some days I really wish I hadn't started this series. I really do. (laughs) How many times have I looked at myself in the mirror after working on these messages and went, What? Just like Paul did. What are you thinking? What's wrong with you? And we've tried to tried to laugh a little bit about it by saying this is about incineration, inhalation, and ink. But we're going to combine them tonight in this subject. How should I keep my temple? If my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, how should I keep my temple? Okay? So let's begin with what I think personally is the easiest one. Cremation. (laughs) Not easy on the one having it done, but it's easy. (laughs) Cremation. Um. Now, I have a little bit more insight on this than most because in addition to being a pastor, I have off and on worked in the funeral industry, and I'm privy to a lot of, a lot of the statistics. For many years, up until the last decade, in the South, and I would include this area as the South, in the South, on average, about 20% of, of funeral arrangements involved cremation. The vast, vast majority of them were standard burial situations. In the last 10 years, that has risen to 50%. By 2032, I believe it is, they estimate that in this region, it'll be 70%. Now, I'll say this. The biggest reason for that is money. It's money. The average, the average funeral, which includes preparation of the body and all that stuff, average funeral costs anywhere between eight dollars and $12,000 once you, once you figure in... You know, burial plot, opening, closing of the grave, all that kind of thing. Any of you that have been through that difficulty know that the money just, the fees just come from everywhere. Cremation's anywhere from two to four thousand dollars, and you're done. You're done. If you choose to involve the funeral home in a memorial service, you can, you can, you can spend more or less money on a urn, but basically, you're done with it. And so, a lot of people, in which money is an issue, that's, it seems like a good financial decision, really, you know. The vast majority of the people that it's it's a financial thing. So let's begin where we should. Let's let's talk about the scriptural cases of cremation. And I'll confess to you, I'm stretching on these. Okay. The very first not that not that we want this to be our our templates necessarily, but the first time we see it is in Leviticus 20, verse 14. There's there's immorality that has taken place, and God instruct that those involved in that immorality be burned with fire. Now, it's not entirely clear if the fire is the punishment or the fire is disposing of them once they have been stoned or what have you. I tend to think they've been stoned first because in every other case like this, they were stoned. And then they were, they were gotten rid of through cremation. Okay, that's the first time we see it. Second time we see it is Achan and his family. Now let me be clear to say this not all of Achan's family were killed that day. Only the ones that were part of the plot to steal those things that God had forbidden. God doesn't punish people that are innocent. Okay? And some of Achan's family did indeed survive this thing, but those who were part of this this plot were killed. Now the Bible says they stoned them, and then they burned them. So they disposed of their bodies via cremation. Okay? Uh, the next time we see it, We see that they found Saul and his sons after the battle against the Philistines. Saul had been beheaded, but the body was still there, and the bodies were so disrespected that those that found them thought it best to cremate them and then bury their bones, okay? And so you have Saul and his sons. The last two times we see anything about cremation at all is in Amos 2 and Amos 6. And it's kind of a vague reference, to be honest with you. And that's it. Now, we are not including instances in which the pagans around, and sorry to say, sometimes even in Israel, burn their loved ones and sacrifice to their false gods. That, we're not including that. That's murder. That's murder. Okay? We're not talking about that. We're talking about disposing of bodies. Okay? Now, here's where we get into that, that area of I've got to be true to the word of God. I am well aware of the traditions that exist in this region, but also within our denominational preferences. But the fact is, I've been studying the Bible for years, and I can find no scriptural prohibition against it. It's not there. It's not there. Um, I know how people feel about it. I know how I feel about it. I know how I feel about it. It should be noted, in in the interest of being intellectually honest, that the standard practice within Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church was to inter a body in a tomb or in a grave. That was standard practice. But standard practice does not rise to the level of a prohibition against something that's not standard practice. It just doesn't. So that's the scriptural cases of it. Boy, it's a really edifying message tonight, isn't it? All right, so, so what, are the, what are the standard criticisms? What, what do most people have against cremation? Well, the first thing they'll say is, well, it has pagan roots. I mean, every time you see it being done throughout the Scripture, it's pagans doing it. Well, we just went through it, and it's not always pagans. It's not always pagans. So, so there is some paganism involved, but, but friends, let me tell you something. There's pagan roots to some of the things we do at Christmas. I mean, if we're going to do this, let's go and do it. Let's, let's, let's be honest about it, and let's include all of it. Every time you read a calendar, there's paganism involved in that. Who do you think January is named after? And March. Hmm? They're named after Roman gods. That's pretty pagan, isn't it? So now you're going to change the name of your calendar? Today is no longer August the 21st. I'm going to change it to Paul the 21st. Well, go ahead. Knock yourself out. Nobody's going to know what you're talking about, you know. Now, this one, I think, is the one that that probably has the most to do with where we're at on it. It seems disrespectful to the body, doesn't it? It seems disrespectful. And that's valid. That's a fair point. It would be very difficult for me, God forbid, God forbid, God forbid, If somebody in my family, my wife or my children, passed, it would be very difficult for me to consent to that. Very difficult. By the way, in some countries, you don't really have a choice. They're out of room. (laughs) That's how they handle things. Now, that said, I've instructed my wife to cremate me. We have this ugly cookie jar that we have that we don't use for cookies, and I've told her to put me in that cookie jar. That's where I want to be at rest. I don't know if she'll do it or not, but it's in the notes of what to do when I'm dead. That are in the file in the office. I want to be in the cookie jar, so you make her do it, all right? But I couldn't do it. it, it It just feels disrespectful to the body. Because even though we all know theologically that's not your loved one there in heaven, that's just a tabernacle, it's still what you see and what you associate with that person and you treat it tenderly and lovingly. And I get that. The third one is, is, well, it doesn't leave anything for the resurrection. When God changes us, but friend, well, I'll get into that in a minute. I'll get into that in a minute. And isn't fire a symbol of judgment? It is, it doesn't have anything to do with this. So those are the the standard criticisms. So let's reach a sincere conclusion here. Okay, we're gonna go back and we're gonna look at those criticisms, and let's reach a sincere conclusion. All right, first of all, regarding it being pagan. The utilization of the practice by pagans does not necessarily mean that we're prohibited from doing it as well. Pagans do plenty of things that we do. Pagans drive cars pagans go to work. But, I mean we should stop doing it. So so it would obviously be wrong to to use cremation in a pagan worship context. I mean you certainly don't want to involve cremation and then go about the pagan way of celebrating their ashes going to the wind and all of that stuff. Don't get into all that. Cuz once again the vast majority of cremations are financial decisions. Well it's it's disrespectful And that is a subjective conclusion based on our love for the body of the deceased. And it may seem distasteful. It may seem undesirable. But that does not make it morally wrong. Did you know that there are people out there, with all due respect to them, that believe that makeup is distasteful and undesirable? You shouldn't wear it. Well, ladies, is makeup morally wrong? Just because somebody sees it as such it doesn't make it so. Right? Okay. And I'm not trying to discount that. I'm not trying to say that I'm not trying to say that, that, that's not a valid feeling. It is, and I would feel that way. But if you're asking me, does that rise to the level of being morally wrong? And the answer is no. Regarding it leaving nothing behind. Now, it's not lost on me that so many in here have, in the recent last couple of years, laid to rest somebody you love. I know that. Here's the ugly truth of it. Eventually, all of our bodies turn to dust. From dust we came, and to dust we will return. And friend, I'm telling you, I don't care how much money you spend on a casket, on embalming techniques, on... A grave, a, a grave liner or whatever, eventually, if Jesus doesn't come back first in time, we are all going back to the dust from whence we came. It's just a matter of time. What about people that died at sea? What about people that have been buried at sea? It's interesting. I did, I did some research for this. The Titanic has been down there for a long time now, and they've been studying that area for 35 years, and in 35 years, they have yet to see any evidence of human remains. Because it's most likely gone. What about those people? Here's the thing. When the rapture happens, God's a big enough God. He'll find every molecule that's spread all over this world, and he will reassemble them and change them in the twinkling of an eye to a brand new glorified body. It doesn't matter where they are. So cremation may not be desirable, but it does not at all. God's not in heaven going, man, I hope they don't cremate them. Then I won't be able to resurrect them." He's not worried about that. He's capable of taking care of all that. And then being symbolic of judgment, there's a lot of symbolism and typology in the Bible, but it doesn't add up to a prohibition. So what's our conclusion here? What's my conclusion? Maybe not yours. My upbringing and cultural background leads me to prefer traditional burial. And frankly, it makes me want to encourage others to do the same. But I cannot truthfully say that the Bible prohibits it as an option. I think it's okay that I say this. A gentleman that has come to our church for a long time, and he's not been here for a good while for different reasons, but many of you know Ernie. When Ms. Ball passed away, the people that make the decisions in her family, for financial reasons, decided to cremate her. And Ernie was tore up about that. So much so that Ernie said, well, my mama still go to heaven. I said, Ernie, your mama's already in heaven. And I had to convince him from Scripture that this may not be what you want, but it it doesn't change the fact of where your mama is and what she's going to become one day when Jesus comes back. He was struggling with that. I've known preachers, there's one that comes to mind in particular that was so against it that he refused to officiate a a funeral where somebody had been cremated. I don't understand that mindset. Can I remind you, funerals are not for the deceased, for the people that are left behind. I've never met one person who's, who's passed away that said the funeral was a blessing to them. It's the people that are there. So my my conclusion is this, there's no biblical support for punishing or even guilting someone who chooses cremation because any funeral or memorial service is meant to minister to the survivors and not the deceased. Never forget what's important. Frankly, as much as we love the remains of those that we love, at that point those remains are far less relevant than the souls of those left behind. So to answer the question, is it wrong for a Christian's body to be cremated? We could argue that it's not preferable. We could argue that we don't like it. But can I take you to the Bible and tell you it's wrong? No, I cannot. And culturally, it would be easier for me to take the other position. But I'm telling you, if it's not in the Bible, I'm not going to pretend it is. All right, y'all stay with me on the next two. The next two is, is it wrong to smoke or use tobacco, and is it wrong to get a tattoo? I'm not saying that this is going to be a big deal, but all of the teachers in the school, I'm told, were at the tattoo parlor smoking outside of it, (laughs) trying to get everything done before it was time to hear this message. (laughs) Is it wrong to use tobacco, whether it be to smoke it, to dip it, chew it, whatever? Vape it, I guess we should include now. I will. I will say this: There's something less manly about tobacco than it used to be. It used to be red man, and now it's strawberry and peaches. It's something less manly. All right. Let me begin with what I think is obvious. Regarding precept, the Bible says nothing about smoking. No, not even Rebecca lighting off her camel. That has nothing to do with smoking. Beat you to it, Kyle. Nothing to it. Nothing nothing to do with it. But just because something is not there in precept, does that mean it's not there in principle? For instance, the Bible has nothing to say about televisions but do you think God is interested in what we watch on television? And to that, for that, we go to principles, okay? So let's begin. Here's some principles to consider. We are made in God's image. And if we're in the image of God, that image demands respectful treatment, does it not? Genesis 127, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And we are to glorify God in our bodies, which would include not harming them. First Corinthians 6:19. what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. First Corinthians 10, verse 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Now, Spurgeon took that verse a little bit differently than most. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, was known to smoke cigars. And a lot of the preachers back then did. He was known to smoke cigars, and a preacher friend of his by the name of Brother Pentecost came to preach at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and he railed for several minutes on the evils of tobacco. Mr. Spurgeon got up after his message and he said, My dear brother, I do need to clarify something because my folks know that I smoke cigars. And furthermore, it's what Spurgeon said, I smoke to the glory of God. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. I smoke to the glory of God. He said, when I come home and I'm hurting from gout and other maladies, I I have a cigar that makes me feel better, and I give God all the glory. (laughs) Well, he eventually gave it up. Not for that reason. He gave it up because somebody was advertising that their brand was the brand Sperton Smoked, and he didn't want any part of that, so he gave it up. The Bible does say, whatsoever we do, Do it all the glory of God. Now, here's something else. Third principle, we are not to allow ourselves to be addicted to wrong influences. Ephesians 5, verse 18, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. They're not what's best. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. He goes on in chapter 9 to say, But I keep under my, under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So the prohibition of not being brought under would be against any substance or any practice that are damaging to both our body and our testimony as well as being addictive. So, in the 11 years that I've been here, in the five years I pastored in Alabama before that, I've never once preached a message against smoking. You know why? It's too small. The principles apply not just to smoking. They apply to any enslaving habit. Something that is bad for the body and as a bad testimony to others i stand before you tonight as much a violator of this principle as any smoker that may be here because i overeat it's bad for the body and it's a bad testimony it's a struggle is food addictive yeah. Sure is. You don't think so? Think of what you love the best and give it up and see how long it is before you're really getting the shakes. We fundamentalists for the last 50, 60, 70 years, we've watched preachers that topped out over 400 pounds railing against other people's enslaving habits, but not their own. It's wrong. man, I got quiet in here. So my conclusion on this is, is the use of tobacco wrong? I believe it is. According to the principles of the Bible, I believe it is. But I mean to be careful to make sure you understand that it would also, so would also be overeating and slothfulness and other common enslaving habits. I got one for you. Is that bad for your body? Turn your mind to mush. They design it to be addictive. So it's addictive, it's bad for you, bad for your mind. But I'll tell you, it's a bad testimony too when somebody's talking to you. Uh-huh, on, okay, on. We've lost the ability to talk to people. And don't tell me that hasn't impacted our ability to witness to people about Christ. So I guess what I'm saying is, it's not just about tobacco, it's about any enslaving habit. So smokers, you're not off the hook. Differs, you're not off the hook. But I got news for you. All of us are right there on the hook with you about something. Yeah. Now the last one. Tattoo. <laughs> Now let me start by saying this. I am aware, I don't know that many is the right word, but a lot of our people here in our church family have some kind of ink on them. I'm aware of that. Some of it I've seen, some of it I've heard about, some of it I suspect. And some of you, you'd never know. Like like my wife, you'd never know. (laughs) Mm. and yet I get this I get this question a lot I can't tell you how many people that we've gone to visit to talk with them about joining our church they ask me this now I have tattoos is that okay which tells me somebody somewhere is telling them that tattoos disqualify them from being part of a church and that's not scriptural I don't know who's telling that but knock it off I don't think it's anybody in here just whoever's listening if it's you quit This is not meant to be an assault on anyone who has tattoos, visible or not. All we're doing is studying what the Scripture does and does not say regarding this subject, a subject about which I have been frequently asked. So let's go to Leviticus 19.28. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the lord. Boy, that sounds pretty clear cut, doesn't it? Now listen. What I'm about to do is what you pay me to do. So don't get mad. I'm not being a compromiser here, but we have got to be careful any time we use an Old Testament passage as a proof text. We got to be careful. It seems clear cut. But if we're going to take this verse right here and say, see there, God's against them. No tattoos. Okay. Then by that same standard, let's move just through Leviticus 19 and see what else he's against. Ready? You plant crops, don't harvest all of them. Leave the corners for the poor. Hmm? Now we're just, we're just being intellectually honest here. That's verses 9 and 10. Verse 19, don't mix your your breeds of your cattle. You know, I I don't know cattle breeds, but don't take this one and this one and put them together to make a better cow. Sorry, that's not allowed. And I know some do. Um, Make sure that you don't have diverse crops in your field. Make sure that you only have one type of crop in this field and one type of crop, and that may be preferable for farmers, but just know you can't do it. Don't mingle the seed, Okay. Oh, here's one. Some of y'all are in violation of this right now. No mixed fabrics. If you have any kind of a wool or polyester or cotton blend, hmm, that's what it says. Verse number 19, neither shall a garment mingled of linen and woolen come upon thee, heathens. This one hurts me the worst. No medium, rare steaks. Leviticus 19:26: "You shall not eat anything with the blood." Those poor Jews in the Old Testament had to cook their meat to well done.. Whew. you know that you know the steak chart, right? You've got rare, medium, rare, medium, medium, well, you monster. Ladies, you all like to style your hair, right? And some men have been known to grow goatees, you know, shave the beard off and just leave this right here. I've done it before until Brother Stewart told me to stop it. He didn't like it. No hair styling and no goatees. Leviticus 19.27. Ye shall not round the corner of your heads, neither shall thou mar the corners of thy beard. Now, I'm not saying that to make a mockery of God's word. I'm saying if we're going to use one verse as a proof text, then let's be honest and use them all. Right? Now, all of these things had purposes for the Jews of the Old Testament. God had a reason for all of them, but that does not mean that it applies to us. The biggest example of that is pork. They weren't allowed to eat it, but God specifically told Peter, What I have cleansed, that call not common. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Hallelujah. Bacon's on the menu. <laughs> Moral law, the Ten Commandments are still in effect. I believe that their consequences. As well as that, the civil and ceremonial law of the Old Testament was done away with by Christ in his sacrifice when he fulfilled the law. Now, having said all that, as all of y'all are on your phone now making appointments to get your tattoos, having said all that, let's take a turn. As with any subject, It is critical that our attitude be one that's teachable. Now, I don't think this is the case because I don't know anybody here would be like this, but it's very possible that somebody would come in knowing what we're going to talk about and say, well, he can say what he wants to. I know what I want. That's not a teachable attitude. That's not a teachable attitude. So let's be teachable tonight. We're so quick to ask, well, what's wrong with it? But what we should be asking is, what about this makes me more like Jesus? Even in things that are allowable, there is still a standard that has to be met. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. That means they're not best. And things that are good and things that are allowable are many times the enemy of the things that are best. So let's examine this passage in Leviticus, and it's the only real passage we have to look at. There's a similar passage in Leviticus, but it doesn't give us any more information, so we'll leave that alone. But let's look at this passage in Leviticus, Leviticus 19. And let's, 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 let's use three perspectives here, okay? Three perspectives, all right? Or, or three questions, I guess you could say. Number one, in this verse, so let's do this. Let's go to Leviticus 19 so we can have it to look at. I'm, I'm going to put it back up on the screen. Leviticus 19, which is before Second Kings, you genius. All right? Leviticus 19.28, you shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. All right, first question, what was God explicitly commanding his people to do or not to do? What does it explicitly say? Now, we're not doing this to find a loophole. We're doing this to understand what thus said the Lord. This would have been, if you look contextually, this would have been skin alteration that was related to false worship, particularly as it related to the dead, okay? You remember in 1 Kings 18, 28, the false prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel, what did they do? And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. God was prohibiting his people from involving themselves in such false worship, okay? So, if that's the prohibition, then what exactly did that entail? It would have been any cutting of the flesh, okay? But that doesn't just mean tattoos, it includes something else that just about every lady in here has. Piercings. So back to being honest. If we're going to use this verse to come down hard on tattoos, we can't get around coming down hard on piercings. I'm just talking about your ears. I'm not talking about other stuff. I'm not talking about four piercings on your lip that connect to your nose and around the back of your head and down. I'm not talking about all that. Let's just stick with the ears. I don't have the strength to do anything else. Okay? But by definition, when you pierce an earlobe, are you cutting the flesh? Yes. And it seems to be that God at least tacitly allowed the Israelites to wear earrings from time to time, doesn't it? because they would give them to different projects. Now, that's an argument from silence because God never says wear earrings, but it just seems that it wasn't as big a deal to him there as these tattoos were. So, what did this entail? This entailed any kind of piercing or cutting body modification. Okay. Now, one of the arguments that's made is, well... Are we saying that God didn't make your body beautiful enough that you have to alter it? All right, once again, if we're going to go with that, then makeup's out. Hair dye is out. Good night, if I told you hair dye was wrong, half church would leave. Y'all don't know this, Robert's hair is white as it can be. So now here's the third thing. Is there a broader truth we need to examine? God was intent on his people not being identified with the heathen nations around them. Those people practice skin alteration as part of their work worship structure. But God demanded of his people that they be Holy. We're in Leviticus 19, go to verse 1. This is where it starts. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So everything in chapter 19 that he issues prohibitions against all comes back to these verses. He wants his people to be holy, to be separate from the culture around them. Okay? Now, that's an Old Testament verse. Is there a New Testament confirmation of Leviticus 19:1 and 2? 1 Peter 1, verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or lifestyle. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So is God still interested in us being holy? Yes, he is. Is God still interested in us standing out from the world? Yes, he is. Okay. With that in mind, What do we conclude? I think I have sufficiently taken you in enough different directions that you're not exactly sure what I'm about to say, which is exactly where I want you. Can we agree that our overarching mandate as Christians is that we conduct ourselves in holiness? That's pretty clear from Scripture, right? If tattoos can still be a part of that paradigm, paradigm that's not a word paradigm if tattoos can still be a part of that paradigm then we have to be able to honestly answer three questions number one what tattoo am i considering even if we were to say that tattoos are okay would you agree with me that some aren't okay If your tattoo is some scantily clad woman, if your tattoo is some terrible word, I can tell you right now from God's word, that's wrong and that shouldn't be on your body. And if you got one of those before you got saved, you need to do everything you can to keep that thing covered because that's a bad testimony. Okay? What tattoo am I considering? Because content matters and is it holy? So what? Here's the second question. Where? because if this ta- if this tattoo is designed to be placed in such a way as to draw inappropriate attention to yourself that violates the bible standard for modesty so if robert decides that he's going to get a tattoo of lizard skin all over his face is that something that helps his testimony frankly no I'm not going, I'm not doing it. I'll, I'll turn it on me. It might help my face, but it wouldn't help my testimony. <laughs> What's it, where is it supposed to be? And is that something that's meant to draw attention to yourself that's not scriptural? So, so what tattoo am I considering and where would I begin it? But, but here's, I think, the most important question of the whole thing. Why? Preacher, I'm thinking about getting a tattoo. My first question to you is going to be why. As best I can tell, there's only five reasons to get a tattoo. Number one is attention. I want to get a tattoo so people will look at me. That's not a good reason. Number two is addiction. There are some people that are addicted to this stuff. They, 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 they won't be happy until their whole body is covered. And then when it is, they'll have to find some other way to feed that addiction. They're addicted to the process. That's not good. So attention, addiction. What about assimilation? I want to be like the world around me. That would be a wrong reason. Addiction, attention, assimilation. What about this? An affront. What's an affront? Rebellion. I want to get it because my mom and dad don't want me to. I want to get it because I know that'll tick the preacher off. I want to get it because I just I just got a streak in me, and I just know this is going. Yeah, I just I've just it's rebellion, it's an affront. Then that's not right. And by the way, if you're under the authority of anyone, it doesn't matter what the Bible says specifically about tattoos. God's teaching about authority is you should obey authority. If your parents tell you not to get one, guess what? Don't get one. Well, the Bible allows it, but that's trumped by the fact, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Okay? Attention, addiction, assimilation, and affront. There's only one possible reason that I can see that would be plausible is a good reason to get a tattoo, and that's Affection. It's not inherently wrong in its motive. But let me be straight with you. It's often not wise. Fellas, hear me now. Unmarried fellas, it is never a good idea to tattoo your girlfriend's name on you. It's dumb. Because she might leave you. But that tattoo won't. And then to quote Desi Arnaz and I Love Lucy, you've got some splanin' to do. I've spent since 2009 explaining to Crystal who Sally is. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's unwise. That... That eagle that you got in your 20s is a pigeon in your 40s. (laughs) Hey, and by the way, tattoos, just like anything else, they're subject to whatever the trend is. And there's a whole lot of ladies that got certain types of tattoos back in the 80s and 90s that wish they weren't there now. Now. So even if it's a matter of affection, a lot of times it's not wise. having said all that, periodically I see ink on people in our church. And I can tell you before God, it doesn't enter my mind at all to judge you one way or the other on it. That's between you and the Lord. Many times it happened earlier in life. I don't see it, and I'm like, that, that doesn't, it doesn't enter into my thinking. It, it, it has no bearing on how I, how I see you. Okay? So, what is my conclusion? And this was a hard one for me to get to. Because my number one mandate is that I tell you what the Bible says or doesn't say. So, here's my conclusion. It seems in nearly all situations, tattoos are not wise, and in some cases, obviously wrong. That said, I can find no New Testament post-law prohibition against them any more than there is one against ladies piercing their ears. So this issue, as I see it, has to be considered a matter of Christian liberty. Now, that said, as an employer, do I have every right to tell our teachers, I don't think you'd be a good representative of this ministry if you've got a tattoo on your face. I absolutely have that right. And I will exert that right. Teachers, do right. Okay? But it's got to be a matter of Christian liberty. Now, there's preachers out there, if they heard me saying this, Up, ah, you compromiser! It, no, I cannot tell you something's there that's not. But if you come to me, I'm probably going to tell you I think it's a bad idea. I'm probably going to tell you I think you're going to regret it later. But can I tell you that there's a New Testament principle or precept that says you shouldn't get it? I can't tell you that, which actually frees me up quite a bit because then I can just tell you how dumb I think it is. (laughs) But I don't think we can treat it any different than piercings. But I'm going to ask you, what are you considering? I may not ask you specifically where, but I'm going to ask you what are you trying to accomplish with it, and I'm going to ask you why. Because if this tattoo is just to stick it to mom and dad, that's wrong wrong. If it's attention, addiction, assimilation, affront, none of those are good. If it's a matter of affection, there may be some room for that, but I still think it's probably not wise. But it has nothing to do, it has nothing to do with what I think of you personally. As such, here's what I've done. I've presented to you what I believe the Bible presents in precept and principle. And I'm going to do what I wish I'd have started doing years ago as a pastor. I'm going to rely on the Holy Spirit to tell you what conclusion to draw. Because I ain't him. I ain't him. Can I give you one final thought to consider in all of this? 1 Corinthians 10.23, all things are lawful for me. But all things are not expedient. They're not what's best. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. We have a responsibility to do what's best, and we have a responsibility to do or not do those things that build other Christians up. And to me, that verse needs to be the lodestar of all of these issues. I joke about being put in the cookie jar. But the reality of it is, at my funeral, what I want more than anything else is for people to hear the gospel and come to Christ. And so I will instruct my family to do a traditional burial only because I don't want it to be in the way. Because there will be somebody there. I can't believe he got cremated. No, it's not worth that to me. I got life insurance. It's not worth that to me. I want to be able to edify people even in my death. Do I think it's the worst thing in the world if I got my wife and children's initials tattooed over my heart? I don't. You wouldn't see it. But what tattoo parlor am I going to? Because whichever it is, all of you will be outside of it when I walk out of it. That's how it works. I mean, it's just just like when Foster goes to the liquor store. Everybody sees him when he walks out. I know people look to preachers, especially in fundamentalism, to be never in doubt of anything. But sometimes the answer is the Bible isn't clear, so you've got to go to the Holy Spirit and ask him. And I think that's where we're at on this. Man, it's been a tough series. If the Lord lets me stay here until 35 years and I'm 70 and ready to give it up, I can tell you this, I can't imagine that I'll ever preach this series again. But I hope it's been a help to you. Next week is God pro-life. That one's a whole lot easier. Spoiler alert. Yes, he is. He's pro-life. But anyway.